Hello and welcome to the Skewer Podcast. The Skewer is a live monthly news review satirizing the dumb news of the month that was every first Wednesday at Cafe Mustache in Chicago. This particular edition was recorded on April 3rd, 2019. Enjoy! When I say Kung Pao, you say penis. Kung Pao. Penis! Kung Pao. One more, just because three is good. Kung Pao. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Happy spring. Happy April. Happy Aries season. Hello. Welcome to The Skewer, a monthly live uh, lit show where we round up the news from the last month and we skewer it. Um, And I'm going to say, yeah, we... Yeah, that's what we do. Uh, and uh, and I, I at least I don't I can't speak for Tom who created the show, but I mean it in all three senses of the word skewer that I can think of, which is we penetrate the news's chest with a wooden stake so it can turn to dust. Uh, we lampoon it in a humorous gimlet-eyed fashion, uh, and we and we discuss it with a particular but not explicitly articulated ideological bent, a skew so to speak. (laughs) This show is not normally distributed. It's not a bell curve. I teach statistics. I'm used to being boring in front of a group of people, so welcome, and all of this will be on the final exam. Um, I'm Devin Price. I'm your guest host tonight. Um, I'm also the... uh, I was the first performer ever in the skewer, in the very first skewer. Thank you. And I will be the last. (laughs) I am the alpha and I am the omega. I will be the one that sounds the trumpet and leads the angels and the devils into battle in heaven, which is the internet. I have a friend who believes this, that in Revelations, the battle of the angels and the devils in heaven, that's about bots on Twitter, on the internet. And when he told me that, I was like, yeah. <laughs> I, and he asked me if I believed in God, and I said, I believe God made me to be an atheist. And he was like, real shit. <laughs> but anyway, so I am gonna, I'm the harbinger of doom, but not today. <laughs> the end of the show, the end of the world, will not come today. Uh, today I'm just the host of the show, and while I am interested in ending all comedy shows for good... <laughs> Uh, I decided a few days ago that my opening monologue shtick was not going to be that this is the last skewer of all time. I really thought about pulling that, and I kind of did just flirt with it a little bit, but we're not going to do that. We've all seen that shtick over the last couple of years, ever since 2016. Everybody's talking about it's the end of the world all the time. I think we've all mentally starred in our own like fair share of eschatological softcore pornography in our minds the past couple years. And if you don't know what eschatological means, it means the study of the end of the world. And probably you didn't read Infinite Jest if you don't know that world. And so, God, I wish I were you. Because <laughs> I had an Infinite Jest face and I had a Ron Paul face. <laughs> so I used to really want to rein in the end of the world, you guys. <laughs> I really used to want to bring in whatever kind of like libertarian nocturnal emission of like dirty coal smoke version of the end of the world that people who like Ron Paul would think of. 
But when we really think about the end of the world, the thing is that the end of the world is not this like gritty, sexy liberation that we all like to think the end of the world would be. Um, it turns out that when the world is ending, you still have to go to work because you're... <laughs> Because you're not completely sure that when the world ends that it's going to end or that it's going to end in a way that actually spells the end of money and property, at least in your like lifetime. And so you just keep dragging your carcass to your job. Um, but you also have this looming sense that everything is about to change irreparably at any moment. So you're kind of caught between extremes, voting, but also hoping for a paradigm-shifting revolution putting money in savings all month and then at the end of the month getting like a sleeve of tattoos because when we're in this like Mad Max future, you want the cash cultural cachet that like that a cool tattoo would give you. Um, fantasizing about murdering rapists with your teeth and then smiling vacantly during work meetings about the new point of sale system. <laughs> that duality, reading books about fascist states and how painfully normal most people's lives were even during fascist uprisings, uh, but then drinking like one rosé at 11 p.m., if you're me, um, and then posting on your private sex Twitter like, wake up, sheeple, <laughs> let's riot in the streets, you know. I stapled this because I knew this was going to be a problem. <laughs> Thank you for your patience. Oh. That's the names of the people in the show. I'm sorry. Thank you for your patience. We're still thinking about the duality between the end of the world and having to go to work, just to reorient you. And you're, and you're like posting on your private sex Twitter, what will it take, sheeple? Even though you know that like, as long as most middle class people have food and Instagram, they won't ever want to riot in the streets, and neither will you. And that's not how any paradigmatic shift in anything works anyway, but like, damn, dude, like, wouldn't it just feel good for things to be simple for once, just simply bad enough? that it was a line in the sand. And I don't know, I'm, I'm gonna get serious for a second here. We like to think things, like to think of life and like the end of the world and how shitty everything is in terms of epiphanies and moments that changed everything. Even though existence is this series of spectrums and continuums, again, I'm a statistics teacher, um, and human beings are also very adaptable, so whatever happens, it becomes our new baseline of badness, no matter how bad it is. And we can't all be actually walking around all galaxy brain all the time. We need naps and to wipe our ass and like to replace our shoes, and so we focus on middling concerns and, and are busy all day until we're alone in the quiet and dark and it arrests us with the terror that nothing is ever going to change in an earth-shattering way. It's just going to be more of this, just shifting too slowly for any of us to like find purchase with our feet against it or do anything to stop it. Anyway, this is not the last skewer of all time. Because <laughs> this is not the end of days. I'm not a harbinger of doom. I, God, I want to be. God, I just want to be sailor fucking Saturn, you guys. She's my favorite. But I shaved my bob like three years ago, and I don't look good in purple as much as I think I do. And, and the world never just ends like that. We just kind of limps and adjusts. It's evolution, baby, like that Pearl Jam song. Shit fucking sucks, but we adapt to it, either setting the new succulus as our baseline, as I already said, or getting tougher, stronger, more resilient, maybe more jaded. And we just keep going, and we eventually as individuals might end, but all of this, all this stuff, it doesn't. And, the, and that's a fact that's both hopeful and harrowing, depending on how we make meaning of it. 
um, depending on the stories we tell ourselves about it. This month, some horrible shit happened as usual. But we also had many periods of revelation. A massive college admission scam was revealed and consequences are maybe being metered out, maybe. Um, a once beloved pop star, pop star was revealed to be the predator. We all knew when our kind of sour stomachs that he was. A horrific act of terrorism and Islamophobic violence was enacted and a nation rallied and agreed to give up its assault weapons swiftly in response. Uh, the Mueller report, which many of us hoped kind of deceiving ourselves uh, that it would be a salve. <laughs> and it was revealed to be like so many other things in our world, meaningful in, as a thread in the larger tapestry of human existence, but not pivotal because nothing will save us. No thing will save us. There's no such thing as being saved. This is not the end. We keep going, nothing dooming us forever, nothing our Messiah. We live in the nuance and struggle and tussle and we make it until we don't. And then... Like the news of March, we turn to dust. <laughs> welcome to April, welcome to spring, welcome to the skewer. All right. Our first writer tonight is Jax Baxter. Jax Baxter, I'm sorry, Barker, I'm so sorry. Jax Barker is an improviser, storyteller, 2019 Rose of Tralee contestant and Gemini. You can catch her competing in the Rose of Tralee this Saturday at 7 p.m. at the Irish American Heritage Center or Tuesdays at 8 p.m. at the Corn Servatory. I had to really make sure that I wasn't, like, mistaking the, the Corn Servatory with her improv sketch team, The Long Con. Um, April 10th at, book, at Volumes Book Cafe for Pour One Out Storytelling Series. Let's put it together for Jax Barker. <laughs> Irish. I just walked in the Southside Irish Parade for St. Patrick's Day two weeks ago. I walked because I'm doing an Irish pageant or selection of women called the Rose of Tralee. It's a 60-year-old pageant for Irish women or women of Irish diaspora. I fall in the Irish diaspora category because my maternal grandparents immigrated here from Ireland in the 50s and my dad immigrated here in the 70s. I have a deep connection to my Irish roots. Being a part of the diaspora is a purely immigrant experience, and I want to be clear here, the Irish immigrated. The community was largely in the Chicago suburbs where our dads worked as carpenters, electricians, and plumbers, to name a few industries. We all grew up doing projects at school about our heritage and saw each other on Aer Lingus flights back home in the summer. <laughs> we always called it home, something I think a lot of children of immigrants can relate to. Something I'm not so sure others can relate to is calling it God's country. <laughs> that seems to be purely Irish and a little too Catholic for my lapsed Catholic ways. It's a beautiful country, but like, please guys, Hawaii exists. Have you seen Moana or planet Earth? Hearing about how our parents came here with very little money and struggled to find their footing is basically America's tale as old as time. For the Irish in particular, our brand of discrimination was actually anti-Catholicism and anti-poverty. One of these we've gotten over and one we're still working on. Good luck guessing which is which. <laughs> when the Irish came here, for my family in the 50s and 70s, they had the privilege of their white skin to help carry them to success. Growing up, I learned about the history of no blacks, no dogs, no Irish, and no Irish need apply in the 19th and 20th century in this country and abroad. 
It was a point of pride in the community. We were discriminated against, and look how we'd succeeded in this country despite being discriminated against. Hell, we had a first-generation Irish-American president, arguably the sexiest president up until recent memory. I'm talking Kennedy, people, and I'll tell you, Irish people love to talk about Kennedy. I've been to bars in Boston that proudly post no blacks, no dogs, no Irish signs by their bottles of liquor in the past few years. We as Americans love a comeback story. We love the underdog, and no one likes to believe they are the underdog quite like the Irish. In college, I took quite a few Irish studies courses and was told over and over again about the struggle. I took one class called Cinematic Representations of the Irish, because you gotta love a liberal arts school. <laughs> where we watched film after film where the Irish were depicted as ruffians, fighters, and sometimes invalids. That depiction of the Irish as fighters is something that we, that we have carried into today. We have the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, for example, a team my Irish dad loves. And, so, and he sports their fan gear like it's Fenty or Ivy Park. Seriously, guys, it's all he wears. I always wonder why he's okay with this depiction of his countrymen as fighters, but I'll probably never ask. He's an Irish dude and doesn't like to talk about his feelings. <laughs> That's all to say I'm Irish and I love being Irish. I love our history in Ireland and I love our history in this country. We've struggled to assimilate in the past and now we have turned back to our heritage celebrating our Irishness by celebrating St. Patrick's Day with our dancing and our sports and so much more. But if St. Patrick's Day celebrations 2019 have proven anything to me, it's that maybe we need to calm down a little. I'm still exhausted from celebrating. Maybe it's just fatigue. Who knows? One point of Irish history I hate to have brought up is our history as slaves. I hate it because I know it isn't true and it's deeply rooted in racism. During the 90s, a lot of truthers came forward proclaiming the hidden history as the Irish as slaves in America and the Caribbean. I'm here to tell you all that while the Irish were indentured servants, they were never slaves in America. I was telling my therapist about this piece and she was a little aggressive, insisting that the Irish were in fact slaves in America. So that was awkward and I will be taking therapist recommendations by the bar later tonight. I realize I'm probably preaching to the choir here, but when it comes up, I'm, when I'm surrounded by Irish folks, educated Irish people who should know better, do not or choose not to know better. Even this past February, Virginia Governor Ralph Northam, famously known for sporting blackface, referred to actual slavery as indentured servants. Luckily, the mother Oprah never had, Gail King, was interviewing him and quickly collected him by replying, also known as slavery. It's moments like these where I find myself referring to facts. The fact is that the Irish never were slaves. They were indentured servants, sure, but we cannot be comparing that to slavery. Both are horrible circumstances, but we cannot be comparing indentured servitude to chattel slavery. In one case, a person is considered a person, and in another, the person is not legally considered a person. Indentured servitude came with a time limit and often means of passage to the colonies. The ending sentiment when this comes up is usually, well, we got over this, so why can't you? This us versus them mentality is what's keeping the Irish back, in my opinion. First, we can't get our facts straight, which is embarrassing. <laughs> And second of all, we look horribly racist because that's what some of us are. Yeah. Racism in the Irish community, <laughs> racism in the Irish community is one of the main reasons I don't consider my part, myself a part of the community. 
I recently saw a picture from St. Patrick's Day with a t-shirt saying, Irish Lives Matter. And I thought I had gotten rid of all the riffraff during the 2016 election. I was wrong. Because um, we know Irish Lives Matter because they are valued in this country, and honestly, a large portion of the police in this country are of Irish descent. There was a video on Facebook for St. Patrick's Day this year um, of Irish members of the Chicago Police Department talking about where they're from in Ireland and encouraging viewers to celebrate the holiday responsibly, effectively humanizing this organization that very recently worked to conceal the murder of Laquan McDonald. I don't even get into how a black man got an Irish last name because you all know how that happened. <laughs> so I wasn't surprised when I, it was shared by many of my Irish friends and family here in Chicago and home in Ireland. One of the police officers is from my dad's village in Ireland. The, this race to see who suffered more is fruitless. There's no competition. It's like putting Beyonce up against anyone. <laughs> it's just not fair. I guess I'm here to repent. It's Lent, and even though I'm a lapsed Catholic, traditions die hard. I just have such mixed feelings. I'm being so proud to be Irish in so many ways when there's this underlying racism in the community that I do not accept. Irish people have suffered enough atrocities throughout the centuries of British occupation, to famine, to decades of armed conflict in Northern Ireland. Why do we have to have this false narrative, too? It devalues the actual suffering the Irish have endured. I know we all love a meme, but the use of total falsity, I can't say that word, to perpetuate racist ideology is not a good look. It makes me not only prou not proud, but embarrassed to be Irish. I'm participating in the pageant, The Rose of Truly, this Saturday. I just hope I don't have to hear anything about the false tragedy of the Irish being slaves in this country. God forbid it comes up, I'll have to show my true Irish self and let the fiery woman inside come out. Maybe the stereotype of the fighting Irish isn't so far off, but I hope when I have children, children who will be Irish, this myth of Irish slavery will be dead and buried. I do have hope that we as a communi community can stop believing this far-right lie and confront our racism and othering. And now I'll get off my Irish soapbox. Irish, oh, I said it wrong. Okay, I had a, I had a punchline. I'll get off. <laughs> And now I'll get off my Irish Spring soapbox. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jax Barker. I realized I said Jax Baxter because I was thinking of Jackson Daxter, the video game, so that's my problem. And last year on um, the Irish Day, what's it called? St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> or as I call it, straight pride. Um, I saw a man with a shirt that read, he was like puking in the Berwyn Red Line station, and he was wearing a shirt that said, kiss my ass, I'm Polish, so that's what's up. Okay, our next uh, writer is Callie Hack. Callie Hack is a writer and copywriter whose work has appeared in Reductress, Allure, Good Housekeeping, Women's Health, and Cosmo. I'm very impressed with these. Uh, when Googling her to write this bio, I also found a Daily Mail article, I hope this is okay to share, about a cyst she had with hair and teeth in it, which had a very delicious-looking stock photo of like, a lump of skin with like a knot of hair around a tooth. So like, that's the powerhouse we're about to hear from. Give it up for Callie Hack. 
2019. Congratulations, round of applause. It hasn't been easy. Um, this year, if there's anything that is trending or a constant, it's been the year of the scam exposures. And if we are exposing frauds and wanting truth, and if this means more salacious tales uh, for scammers for the next eight months, I am here for it. So I thought about using this time to like air all of my truths um, and get ahead of any exposing that may happen. And then I was like, who do I think I am? Like, I have a nine to five and it takes like at least three pep talks with my dad to like get the courage to ask for time off. Like I'm not a scammer. Um, as a child, when I felt sick at school, I was afraid to ask the teacher if I could go to the nurse's office. I thought teachers just automatically assume any kids who asked to go to the nurse's office was a liar, um, which some of them were probably. So I didn't want them to think I was a fake, and I didn't want them to hate me because I am a catastrophist and a people pleaser, and those are two things that scammers definitely are not. So, so I feel guilty and terrible about everything. Um, there was this one time, though, where I told a guy that I was dating that I took two melatonin to fall asleep when I actually took three. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, if I tell him I took three, he might think I have, like, addictive tendencies, and then he won't want to date me. So he was like, hey, how many melatonin did you take, like, super innocently? And I was like, two. <laughs> and he was like, you took three, didn't you? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> So I'm not saying like I'm free of sin or anything, but I'm very terrible at lying. Um, anyway, we're in the year of the scammer, and because we're all so sick of bullshit, and we just want the truth. So already this year, we've had Anna Delvey, the fake New York socialite who conned New York's elite into thinking she was a German heiress. Her criminal trial is happening right now, and if you're not following the Instagram that's dedicated to her courtroom sartorial style, you are missing out. Black chokers are coming back in. Get on it. I'm buying five later. Okay. Then we had Firefest Fire Billy, which that was a scammer gift from the gods. Um, and we even have Lisa Vanderpump getting exposed, you guys. For my housewife fans out there, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, which brings me to Elizabeth Holmes of Theranos. Have you all heard about this story? Okay, if you haven't, here are the cliff notes. So, this well-off, young, white, blonde woman, like, of course, right? Like, <laughs> blonde, white women are, like, truly disappointing, and we're ruining everything. So, um, but also... I just want to say we're like, I'm kind of proud. Hear me out. So she is the youngest female billionaire to be charged with massive fraud. Like, she has joined the ranks of high-profile male scammers, which I know, like, I shouldn't be proud of as a woman, but I will celebrate any glass ceiling that we're breaking. So. Anyway, this young blonde woman like convinced like a bunch of high-profile people that she could develop technology that would revolutionize the medical industry. She started a company called Theranos that claimed to be able to run like a bunch of blood tests, like hundreds of different blood tests with one single drop of blood, which is huge if it was possible. <laughs> but because right now people have to give like vials and vials of blood 
to test for all sorts of conditions. So one drop is amazing, and investors want it in. So she convinced a bunch of very high-profile people, like Henry Kissinger-type people, like Henry Kissinger was on her board of directors, <laughs> that to give her like a ton of money, and in return, she would like tell them nothing about the technology because it was top secret. And they were all like, okay, <laughs> we get it. <laughs> so for almost 10 years, she had everyone fooled because she told people it worked and she exaggerated claims, and people just believed her, which, wow. <laughs> like, her board of directors was essentially made up of powerful old white men, and none of them was like, well, actually. <laughs> like, they all just believed her, which is probably, like, the most, like, impressive part of this entire story. Like, last week, a man asked me if I was sure I spelled my name right. <laughs> and I was like, yes, sir, I think I know how to spell my name. But then I also, like, double-checked, because I'm like, oh, did I spell my name right? I don't know. I'm filled with doubt. So Elizabeth created this persona that fooled everybody. Um, and so here is what I've gathered the recipe to scamming is, as far as I could tell from Elizabeth Holmes. So I'm going to uh, try and scam you guys, okay? So you all pretend that you are old, rich, white men with buttloads of money. I saw, I saw you too. <laughs> we'll talk after the show. <laughs> I think I have some investment ideas for you. <laughs> okay, so you guys are old, rich, white men with buttloads of money. And I am going to try and sell you an idea of, like, a scam that, like, we all know and abide by, like, marriage. <laughs> so it's a scam, right? Like, or at least the wedding industry is a scam. Like, also, you guys, Elizabeth Holmes last week just got engaged. Like, how? How? Does her boyfriend not know what she did? Probably. I'm like, I'm very, I'm showing my bitterness towards love right now. It's very obvious that I've started dating again. Um, also, my mom just called me last week and she was like, I know I didn't tell you, but I like set aside a bunch of money for like a wedding, but it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. So I bought a condo. And I was like, I'm, I'm a hater right now, though. So, okay, so roll with it with me, you guys. I love love. Don't get me wrong. I love attending weddings. Uh, but they cost a shit ton of money. And, and we're all poor, right? Maybe not you two. We'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay, let's get into character. Um, I am going to pretend I'm a young, beautiful, blonde woman who strangely wears black turtlenecks. Like, easy check. <laughs> Killing it, you guys. <laughs> Done and done. And now all of you pretend that you are rich white male investors. This might be easy for some of you. Um, <laughs> ladies, this might be a little difficult. So let me, uh, here, let, I don't, like, imagine that you can go, like, running alone at night. Ooh, right? You feel that power? Now increase that power like a ton, and then you're there. Okay, we're all in the mindset. Okay. Um, okay, and she also changed her voice to a low baritone, so I'm going to try and do that. I, like, assume she thought that males wouldn't, like, 
listen to her if she didn't sound like one of them. Um, maybe they just hate it when women talk. I don't know. Um, okay. So I'm going to talk in a baritone, and also she, like, apparently didn't blink very much. So I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, but I'm going to try and do that. All right. Remember, you're in character. It's going to be like shark take for, for scammers. This will be fun. Okay. I have an idea. <laughs> that will revolutionize the way we express love to each other. This will change the way we live and interact and show our feelings towards one another. We will have one day where we gather friends and family. Beautiful, right? I know. Yeah. It will cost tens of thousands of dollars. But if you're not willing to spend money on love, what are you willing to do? We will have a piece of paper that you can sign and enter an agreement with each other and say, you will feel the same things forever until one of you dies. And all I'm asking you today is to invest a mere $10 million for me to do something that I would like to keep top secret but will definitely help people. I promise. Thank you, guys. Callie Hack, everyone. Um, since scams have been broached, for anybody who's looking for a fresh scam, topclassactionlawsuits.org. I do it every month. I get, I get checks in the mail for things I didn't buy. It's a, thank you, thank you. Yes, like, I think, the, I, literally this week I got a check for, like, $17 for, like, Burt's Bees that was, like, misadvertised as organic, even though I bought... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, run, run small scams. Um, they do make you check a box that say that, like, you testify under penalty of perjury that you did buy the thing. But there's no way, there's no way they're going <laughs> to. This is a pro-scam show. Sorry. Okay. All right. So, now it's time for some comedy. Bill Bullock is a comedian based in Chicago. He is currently co-producer and co-host of two wildly popular showcases in Chicago's hip Logan Square. That's off of his website. Um, <laughs> those shows are Congrats on Your Success and Cole's Chicago Cabaret. And he is also the host of Chicago's uh, of a new show at Chicago's iconic Constellation Theater called It's Happening. Put it together for Bill Bullock. You know, uh... This show's great because the people who run this show do a very good job of checking in with you and letting you know that if you don't respond to their emails, that they will use information from wherever they can find it. Even if it is wildly out of date. Uh, I run one show in, in the hip Logan Square neighborhood. The other one got canceled, uh, and and the third one that you mentioned, Devin, I ended because I hated that place. Uh, no, you need not apologize for doing the exact thing that you said you were going to do. The email, 
I was just reading it, and I was like, I was like, it's literally on my phone right now. I was just reading it. I was, this is what it says. Number one, number one of the four things on this email. Seven things, but the only four are actually important. Number one, if you haven't already, and then in giant bolded letters says, send me slash Devin your preferred bio. If you do not, we will cobble one together from what's on your Twitter or whatever. We will plug things that are out of date if you don't stop us. Send those bios. And I was reading that while Jax was on stage. You feel me? Like I was woefully underprepared. Um... Woefully underprepared is actually like the, the theme of what I was, what, yeah. So, cause also, cause, cause the other thing is that Tom asked me for my topic and I didn't respond cause I hadn't chosen one yet. <laughs> and so when he sent me a message, it's like, hey, I don't know if you got the email, but like for real, what the fuck is your topic? <laughs> I was like, I got one. Don't worry. <laughs> it is. And then I just typed something out. And, like, it just came to me at the moment. But I, did, I do have a topic, and I wanted... I, first of all, I want to say, uh, I went to Notre Dame, class of 2007. No, don't clap. It's, it's a horrible place. It's, it is Catholic Disney World, but you know, just like real Disney World, the underbelly is seedy. Uh, y'all act so weird about stuff that's just true. Um... I went to Notre Dame, uh, so I'm black Irish. Uh, what, they, what they call us. They do talk about the fact that they were slaves all the time. It's weird. They changed, they changed their... I know I have a topic of my own, but this is just funny to me. They changed their mascot from the Irish setter, the dog, to the fighting Irish, the concept. Because... The Irish students on campus, it's Notre Dame, it's, it's French. It's a French Catholic university. But the Irish kids kept getting arrested for fighting. And so the cops would call, the South Bend police would call them those fighting Irish at Notre Dame. And they changed their name to that. They're so dumb, it's a bad place. I got a very good degree that I will never use again because I do this now. I will, I, Went to school for computer science, and my parents are so mad. Um, anyway, I want to talk about... Um, uh, um, I'll get to it. People always have the conversation, the debate about whether life imitates art or whether art imitates life. And I think that that is stupid. Because if you think... If you don't think that art is, like, woefully badly imitating life, then you ain't been paying attention in the last two years. Cause like, have you been, have you, look outside, it's a nightmare. Art is just barely scratching the surface of what life is actually like. Uh, what I wanna talk about is Mr. Justin Smollett. Um, and most of you are white, so you don't know what I'm talking about. Jussie Smollett is an actor. He uh, is, is black and gay and is famously on the hit show Empire. It's a Fox show. It is a soap opera <laughs> about the recording industry. It's, set in it's, it's filmed in Chicago. It's filmed here. Justin Smollett uh, 
I'm just gonna, here's the thing. I'm no, I have a lot of editorializing that I could do, but I'm just gonna describe the shit that happened. So this is what happened according to the news, right? Jussie Smollett, actor on the hit show Empire, attacked brutally by racists wearing MAGA hats. Literally, he said they're wearing MAGA hats. Attacked, they punched him in the face. They, they tackled him to the ground. They said, this is Trump country. Don't be, you know, and they said a bunch of like, homophobic stuff. And then they poured bleach on him and put a noose around his neck. That's what he said. And, when he, and, he, and he went to the hospital. And then, like, a couple days later, it's like, first of all, that's like, oh no. You know what I mean? Like, oh no, I'm sorry that that happened. Who are you, Jesse? <laughs> Who is that? That's what a lot of people said. Uh, I am black and queer, so I knew. Um, <laughs> And then the next thing that happened was like the cops were like, we're investigating. And then some random cop said to some random reporter, but we think he might have faked it though. <laughs> and then all cops were like, no, 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 that's not real. What are you talking about? And everybody was like, what the fuck is going on? And then a million more things <laughs> happened in the next month and a half. Like a million more things happened. People went back and forth, left and right, about whether or not this cop who had said that the leaked that he had faked that hoaxed this whole thing was a liar. They tried to figure out who the cop was. And then they arrested two suspects. And it was like, dope, we got him. <laughs> and then the next day they were like, nah, they aren't suspects anymore. And we're like, what the fuck? And then they were like, they're Nigerian brothers. <laughs> and you're like, why is it so specific that they're Nigerian? And then you remember, oh, MAGA hats. This is our country, we're taking it back because we're white and we want it. Uh, we want it all, we want everything, we won't let you have anything. And it's like, oh, Nigerian can't be that. Uh, no wonder they're no longer suspects. How did you arrest two Nigerian brothers? When did, how did, and then they're like, oh, the Nigerian brothers are now witnesses. <laughs> and you're like, what? To what? He was alone. And then he's like, Jussie Smollett is now the primary suspect. And they arrested him, and you're like, wait, how, who, but if this was, the, if this was Empire, and he was playing his character on Empire, <laughs> at this point, you'd be like, this show has jumped the fucking shark. <laughs> right? Would you not? Because it's stupid at this point. Like, what are we talking about? It ain't even halfway over. Um, they arrest Jussie Smollett, and fucking, fucking, like, he takes the smuggest fucking mug shot that I've ever seen in my life. It was a real, real smug shot. I just made that up just now. It wasn't funny. But he's literally just like, in his mug shot. Because he's like, I didn't do this, but I'll let my lawyer let you know that. And then it turns out that the Nigerian brothers have literal receipts. They have literal receipts from the hat that he made them buy. Why did he make them buy an actual hat? None of this was caught on camera. The only part that was caught on camera was them going to the place where he said he was attacked and they weren't wearing the hat then, so like, what was the point? He's released, but they're still investigating. And now the FBI is involved, is what they say. And it's like, okay, this is like a movie? Are they making a movie of the season of the show? <laughs> and, then our, and then our state's attorney, Kim Fox, who's dope, by the way, uh, is like, 
Oh yeah, I recused myself because some member of the family who's also connected to the Obamas, I don't know if you've heard of them, <laughs> asked me to check in on this and I was like, this seems weird. So I recused myself after I talked to the family about it. And you're like, why is, why, what the, why is there a cameo? Why do you, you, why do you keep adding more characters? We're like more than halfway through the story. And then they're like, oh shit, this looks bad for Jesse. I have a podcast where I talk about um, unlearning the bad things that you internalize from white supremacy and the patriarchy. It's called Unlearned. Look it up on unlearnedpodcast.com. Uh, but I literally remember saying, wow, so Jesse Smollett, fucking lion ass, lion ass bitch, like lion ass motherfucker, just like fucking threw his people under the bus two times, like under the, like the blacks and the gays, two times. He just threw us all under the bus for what? His personal enrichment? Oh, they throw his ass under the jail. But then I remembered that the cops are liars. <laughs> The cops lie about us all the time. The blacks, the queers, all of us. And he's both. And so I, like I'm at this point, it's like, it's like spoiler alert, us. It's like, I, there's so many twists and turns, I don't know who's, who's who anymore. Who's the good guys? Who's the bad guys? Is it all of us? Yes, the answer is yes. And then, and then, and then, and then, out of nowhere, they dropped all the charges. And it's like, wait, so wait, so wait, so wait. So the real twist is you're just, none of it mattered at all? Yes, is the answer. And so now that it's over, I'm here to say this. Like I said, this, if, this were a, if this were a TV show, it would be like too much already, and then it would have moved to Netflix. It would have gotten canceled, and then, and then there would have been a campaign to move it to Netflix, and then Netflix would have taken the bait and made a really bad version of it. <laughs> And then there would be a movie where they kept adding extra characters for no reason. It's still not over. They're still they're investigating Kim Fox now. Like it's for real. Like it's for real out here. Yeah, for real. But now that it's over and it's pretty obvious that Jesse Smollett is never going to jail for the thing that he may or may not have done for the thing that may or may not have happened to him, I am here to say, like I said, art imitates life because that is not, you can't, there's no possible way that that could have been, you couldn't have made that art and have it be as good as it was in real life. I'm here to say um, I'm glad that Justin's not going to jail. I don't think that if he did uh, fake his own attack that he should go to jail, even though I said that at the time because I was really mad uh, that someone would do such a thing and, and, and imperil the, the, the queers and black people who have to deal with the cops all the time, right? Who, who to not be believed by the public and on their face. With that said, uh, I also was glad O.J. Simpson didn't go to jail, and that bitch did it! He did it! <laughs> Fucking asshole, what is wrong with you? He did it. But he shouldn't go to jail. Uh, but he should be written off his show. He should, he was doing it to, to, to you know, fund his own pockets, which I get. Because yeah. nobody's going to give you their money unless you take it. Uh, I see you rich white men in the front. I'm taking all your money. You're going to give it willingly because I'm charming as hell. Um, I have a comeback vehicle for Jesse because Empire ain't going to be it no more. Um, and it's a movie. I, uh, um, oh, I wrote it down. I should probably just read what I wrote. That's the best way to make that work, right? I don't know. Yes, pitch for a comeback vehicle. <laughs> Jussie Smollett. 
has to prove his innocence. And there's, then there's like a montage. This is, this is the trailer. I'm doing the trailer. You get it. And then there's a montage of like flash bulbs and like him on, on, a, on a press press conference where he's like, I wouldn't be my mother's son if I did the things that they said I did. The only way to do that is to talk to the one person who really knows the truth of what happened that night. Jussie Smollett. <laughs> That's right. Jussie Smollett goes back in time to stop his own attack. <laughs> but he realizes something's wrong. Something's changed. <laughs> uh, have y'all ever seen... There's a movie. It's an indie movie. It's on Netflix. I forget what it's called, so never mind. It's about time travel where the two guys go back in time. That's what it's called. Thank you. No, that's it. You was right. Give it up for her. That's Primer is the name of the movie. Two friends go back in time, and then they realize that going back in time changes everything, so they have to go back in time to stop the thing that they changed. And then they have to go back in time to stop the thing that they changed from changing the thing that they didn't mean for it to change, and then all of a sudden there's 20 of them in a room together. Justice Smollett goes back in time. He re- it's, like, it's like Primer, but with a black gay guy as the lead, so not like Primer at all, I guess. Uh, Jesse Smollett goes back in time. And then he goes back in time again to attack his attacker, only to realize that it's the other Jesse Smollett. (laughs) Jesse Smollett and Justin Smollett. And introducing Jesse Smollett in The Two Men. (laughs) The the Two Attackers coming soon to theaters. That's, That's all. My two attackers, rated R for ridiculous fucking stories. Ridiculous and fuck him, but also fuck the cops. And that's it, I think. Thank you, guys. I'll see you guys at Cole Chicago Cabaret when, if it, when, it, when and if it ever happens again. of one show in the hip neighborhood, Logan Square, and Unlearning the Podcast, which when I wrote it down, I wrote Unlearned, but then I had to check in on the podcast. Oh, that's right, Unlearned? Damn it. So, okay, well, I was wrong and then I was right. That's life. All right. (laughs) Um, Our next writer is Arish Singh. He is a comedian and features contributor to The Onion. He is also the host, I hope this is true, of Monkey Wrench. A, sh- a Chicago live comedy show that's a li- that's little more than a leftist plot against the ruling class on the first Monday of the month at the hideout, for as long as the hideout is alive, which I think is not very long. Let's give it up for Arish Singh. Everybody, um, first my condolences uh, to all the white people over the whole Mueller thing. Um, I know <laughs> how your community is, is dealing with that and. Uh, that a bunch of Russian oligarchs <laughs> could take an election that was supposed to belong to American oligarchs? <laughs> I feel for all of you. I feel, feel deeply. Uh, but uh, I'm going to keep it to local elections here for this. Uh, I'm going to be talking about uh, Andre Vasquez unseating uh, 40th Ward Alderman Pat O'Connor, one of the longest-serving members of the Chicago machine. 36 years. 
He started at the young age of 28 as an Irish slave and moved his way up to, uh, to Alderman. Feel good story, feel good story. Uh, yeah. Uh, Vasquez is one of five Chicago Democratic Socialists of America endorsed candidates to win their race for aldermen. I'm going to... I am, in fact, counting Rosana Rodriguez of the 33rd, who did come out on top, still being counted, and I do demand, as has been the demand of queer socialists of Chicago, that Deb Mel concede by taking off her bow tie. Um, so, 100% on that train. Um, but I want to talk about uh, another distinction that Vasquez has tonight, he being the only alderman elected to the Chicago City Council who is a former battle rapper. My condolences for, my condolences for Sharkula losing in the first, but, uh, but you can't win them all. Um, yes, yes. Uh, Andre Vasquez was once known as Prime, uh, an allusion to the beloved uh, 80s pop culture slash uh, 80s pop culture cartoon slash toy figurine uh, Optimus Prime, who was later ruined by Michael Bay in the 2000s, um, and. Uh, he was a rapper who was part of the venerable 2000 Chicago hip-hop group, The Mole Men. Right? Give it up for The Mole Men. People who... Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, uh, so yes, before becoming uh, Alderman Vasquez uh, and leaving The Mole Men to join the lizard people who run our government, um, he, was, uh, he was a battle rapper. He also led a rap group called uh, Middle Ground, which I assume was a fearsome rap group uh, from the wrong side of the tracks, with uh, incredible radical centrist politics. Um, <laughs> check out those uh, funky fresh rhymes from John Lovett and John Favreau. Um, uh, Vasquez started rapping at Lane Tech High and participated in the rap scene centered around Navy Pier, which now sounds lame as hell, but maybe it was cool back then. Um, uh, Vasquez, I'm taking a lot of this from his profile in the Chicago Reader uh, by uh, Laurel Gallil, uh, who, uh, who dug up a lot of this history and uh, gives it good context, so I want to give credit. But uh, Vasquez in that article claims uh, that he, out of the thousands of battles he had, he only lost seven times, though he does admit that this is by his own count. So... <laughs> So uh, that's an important career skill as a politician, being able to fudge your own stats. So that's, uh, that's in his favor. I think that's a good, good indication uh, that he's, a, he's appropriately skilled for the job. Um, as Prime, Vasquez toured uh, with the rapper Atmosphere, uh, freestyled with Guru of Gangstar, appeared on the battle rap theme shows, uh, HBO's Blaze Battle and MTV's Direct Effect in 2000. So... Uh, a not famous rapper, uh, but a notable career with good TV credits. So um, he definitely has the, uh, the contingent of uh, Chicago comedians who've never moved out of Chicago, right? We can understand. Uh, he's got my voting block. Uh, we can relate. We can definitely connect with him on that one. Um, uh, that one cut a little deep for me, that laugh. But... Um, <laughs> Talk about being vulnerable in comedy. Um, but as uh, that reader profile notes, uh, about eight years ago, Vasquez decided to quit uh, his rap career. And his quote is that, I remember going to the bars and the clubs and being like, I don't want to be that over 30 guy at the club when all the kids are doing their thing. Uh, it started feeling very repetitive. I'm like, all right, let me see what the rest of life looks like. So... Andre Vasquez should not only be applauded for running a race and winning it as a political outsider, he should also 
be applauded as a battle rapper approaching middle age who decided to no longer keep selling his mixtapes in the streets. That is incredibly brave. Again, apologies to Sharkula. Um, Prime indeed recognized that he did not want to be past his prime. So, uh, but then again, uh, if, if we are going to take this uh, notion seriously of uh, Vasquez wanting to let the younger folks have the stage, maybe he should have let uh, Ugo Okere, uh, the 22-year-old DSA member who was even more outspoken about running as a democratic socialist, run in the 40th Ward uncontested. Um, but that is a battle that's been wrapped. Let's get back to the battle rapper. Um, <laughs> Vasquez uh, did put in legitimate work to come in as a political outsider. He only got interested in politics uh, as a Bernie supporter in 2016, but from there he organized a, a rap concert, Burnfest, uh, that featured rappers like Rhymesayer, vilified by none other than uh, um, uh, our head Kardashian, right? Uh, when uh, he came out against uh, when he came out against uh, Kanye for not supporting the charities that he set up in Chicago and. Uh, and from there, uh, Vasquez went on to uh, work with Reclaim Chicago and the People's Lobby, and uh, he, he became an activist in a very legitimate way, so I do want to credit him for that. Um, and I, I think there are certain skills that a battle rapper could bring uh, as a politician, right? Uh, verbal dexterity, um, you know, uh, being able to do these kind of fundraisers with rappers. He got 15000 from uh, Atmosphere, which is, I mean, that's great to get that from white backpack rappers. I love that. Um, <laughs> that he was able to skim that off the top. Uh, um, and then, of course, uh, you know, being able to handle 16 bars is a better skill set than being able to handle 16 shots that need to be covered up by the Chicago Police Department. So um, I, I certainly am happy. And um, as some of you may know, uh, um, uh, I, I was taken by the news that came out in 2016 that uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda and Chris Hayes, both people who are sort of in the orbit of liberal uh, politics and the arts, uh, was beat up by uh, Immortal Technique, a rapper from New York, when they were going to school at Hunter High School. Um, And and the fact that people didn't applaud that is everything that's wrong with the uh, political left uh, today. So um, so I'm definitely a a fan of uh, of that sort of... uh, Battle rap, um, uh, how should we say it, uh, confrontationalist, confrontational quality. Um, but uh, I also want to say that Vasquez's battle rap should not be uncritically glorified, as came to light during his campaign for the 40th, uh, Vasquez's battle rapping. And his comments on hip-hop message boards could often involve misogyny and homophobia, and these came to light. Uh, and, they, and they deserve to be uh, considered. And uh, I will say that probably comes as no surprise to anyone who followed uh, late 90s or early 2000s battle rap, or really anyone who was around in the late 90s and early 2000s. Uh, go try rewatching some of your favorite films from that era. It's not so easy. Um, but uh, the issue shouldn't be brushed away. That is, that is a point I want to make clear. Uh, there's definitely discussion we had about Vasquez's prior statements um, as far as his commitment to marginalized groups when he's running as a candidate who's supposed to be a progressive grassroots socialist. Um, and it would have been a lot better if Vasquez dealt directly with these comments before they were brought up by the O'Connor campaign, who uh, released them under the sinister The Truth About uh, Andrew.com website, um, where these uh, statements were come out, came out. And they, some of them are, are, are quite terrible, uh, using uh, anti-trans language. Uh, he even used the statement, uh, lazy border jumpers, uh, even though coming from a Latino background with undocumented family members. And he has, uh, he has apologized for these statements. I want to make that much clear. Um, and I think they are uh, s- 
seriously uh, sincere po- apology that is offered, but uh, I, I think also it's uh, a discussion that needs to be uh, to be had, um, and I do hope people hold his feet to the fire about that now that he is elected. Um, but I do want to also bring up the other half of this, uh, that uh, this is, on the other other hand, he is running against Patrick O'Connor, uh, who in the 1980s spearheaded with Ed Verdoliak and Ed Burke, uh, the majority white group of aldermen who opposed the progressive agenda of Chicago's first black mayor, uh, Harold Washington. Um, and add to that legacy of uh, being the Chicago machine politician, floor leader for Daly and Manuel, uh, gave multiple members of his family city jobs and excused it by saying, nepotism is fine, it worked for thousands of years in Great Britain. Um, de- dead on, that is what he said. And uh, this year, uh, he, aco- he accused uh, O'Kerry, who I mentioned previously, of not trying, to build power in the, uh, not trying to build power in the community of the 40th, but just for the Nigerian community of the 40th. So... Uh, Patrick O'Connor's racism has to be put into context, too. And um, so when you read reports that uh, interview uh, O'Connor, and he says things like, I just don't see this uh, as part of the art form, um, because you know, uh, many of you probably read uh, Patrick O'Connor's column in The Source during the 2000s, right? You know, when he was a critic of the art form. Um, uh, He goes on to say, misogyny, homophobia, glorification of violence against women. Someone who only recently decided these behaviors were problematic should be called into question. And I agree, and was disappointed that the NBC affiliate who interviewed O'Connor failed to question Pat O'Connor on uh, that particular question. Um, uh, And uh, this is uh, something I've had to dig up on my own. Uh, Even more troubling is the news uh, that of Pat O'Connor's own battle rap verses uh, from the early 2000s. Uh, and I, I, I'm here to share a couple of those with you. Um, I can't go into too many of them because uh, of the language, of course. But um, uh, I think the first one begins, uh, I'm Pat O'Connor, more racist than an Afrikaner. Racial epitaph, racial epitaph, racial epitaph, racial epitaph. Uh, Y'all fans of Tupac and Corrupt while well, I ran a super PAC and kept it super corrupt. Racial epitaph, racial epitaph, racial epitaph. Why should I put uh, the brown and the black on the dole when I can put uh, 15 members of my people on the payroll? Racial epitaph, racial epitaph, racial epitaph. And finally, I think the most um, sinister verse. Uh, yeah, I partnered up in the 80s with Edward Doliak. Yeah, I slipped the pill in his water. Yes, I gave Harold Washington that heart attack. Go Cubs. Racial epitaph, racial epitaph, racial epitaph. <laughs> so yes, uh, Mr. Pat O'Connor uh, killed Harold Washington and is no longer, <laughs> thankfully, the uh, alderman in the 40th Ward. And I hope uh, Vasquez comes through on his promises of uh, being a, a alderman who represents uh, everyone in his community and represents them uh, respectfully. Thank you very much. Put together one more time for Arish Singh, everybody. And let's put it together for Cafe Mustache. Um, this is kind of the obligate time to remind you all that we have, especially the white men in the front, that we have a donation <laughs> bucket. So if you have any uh, money, we deserve it. 
And so, and thank you. It's now time for my favorite uh, portion of the skewer, the debate portion. Yes. Uh, and debates here are as lacking in substance and the capacity to change people's minds as debates are anywhere. And I say this as someone with a National Forensics League, like, like jersey, like I lettered in forensics. Like that's, that's my shit. That's my problem. Um, but here they're at least intended to be funny, so we don't have to just fixate on whatever shred of like. You guys remember in the second presidential debate uh, when Ted Cruz had that weird like shit on the corner of his mouth, and like we just had to fixate on that as like a life preserver of entertainment. This is supposed to be funny. So, okay, and, and, and the topic is bullshit, and I, made it, and I made it up, so, you know, so humor me. All right, let's bring our competitors up to the stage. Uh, first, Tom Harrison is the co-founder and producer of The Skewer, host and GM of comedy RPG podcast Shuffle Quest, and um, I think this is like a, a self-drag, Calm Genius. <laughs> oh. There's no, no drag in Calm Genius. <laughs> Two great things that you want to be and that I am. Okay, okay, good. I'm glad. I'm glad that you're harnessing that. Uh, Our next competitor is Kelsey Buckley, is an improviser and performer. She is on the house team Teenage Nicholas at the Crowd Theater performing Friday nights at 10. She's been improvising for seven years, and her special skills include convincing people she knows what she's talking about and her killer Joan Cusack impression. Welcome. So these are two illustrious competitors, um, and let me tell you a little bit about our topic that they're going to be debating. Um, so this month, as you may remember, Donald Trump has been working to revive his long-standing feud with the several months dead former Senator John McCain. <laughs> criticizing the dead former Senator for voting against a bill to overturn Obamacare stating the dead former senator was, quote, last in his class in the Naval Academy, and even stating bitterly that he was never thanked by the again very much dead man for giving him the funeral he wanted. (laughs) So the debate topic this month is as follows. Which dead person should Trump start a feud with next? Uh, Kelsey, why don't you tell me which dead person you will be arguing Trump should start a feud with? Trump should start a feud with the skeleton of the first discovered Australopithecus Lucy. <laughs> and Tom, who, which dead person are you arguing for? I'm going to be arguing for the frozen head of Walt Disney. <laughs> Allegedly frozen, Snopes.com. Okay. Um, I just believe in truth. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Even though I wrote these positions. Anyway, okay. Um, So let me tell you a little bit about how this is going to work. Each of our competitors have an opening statement of about five, six minutes. We don't have a timer. We just kind of trust people. Um, And then we will have a QA and a period where I will be lobbing Bon Mots at them to swat down (laughs) for some amount of time. I'm going to just kind of feel that one out. And then they are going to have closing statements for one minute. And then you guys are going to vote for who won using claps and, and noises and things like that. Uh, so that's how that's going to go. Um, do, do either of you feel strongly about going first? I don't care. All right. Kelsey is going to be going first. Let's hear it. 
people of the skewer. Tonight, I will argue not only that Trump should pick a fight with the skeleton of the first discovered Australopithecus Lucy, but that he shall <laughs> pick a fight with the skeleton of the first discovered Australopithecus Lucy because of course he would. Of course he would pick a fight with an important old woman from a shithole country with a long title he cannot pronounce. Though I take that back. I bet that Trump actually can pronounce Australopithecus because it's mentioned in the theme song for The Big Bang Theory. <laughs> and there are two things that busted-brained baby boomers love watching. Fox News and Chuck Lore sitcoms. Oh, how he loves the virgins. <laughs> and he guffaws along to the laugh track as McDonald's burger meats falls out of his gaping maw. I am as sure that the current president of the United States has said the word bazinga <laughs> as I am that he has said the N-word, which is to say 100% positive. And not to dismiss that fact, because it's bad, uh, but I'm also pretty sure that he has said most words within a fourth grade vocabulary because he is the human equivalent of the infinite monkey theorem. His CPAC speech was two hours long, and like most of his speeches, it was just all stream of consciousness and making shit up. So I have seen the future, and I'm here to tell you that he will pick a fight with the skeleton of the first discovered Australopithecus Lucy, and this is how it's going to happen. He's going to be at one of his rallies, talking about building the border wall, and he's gonna dust off one of his greatest hits from 2015 and say, when Mexico sends his people, they're not sending their best. And all the racists will sing along because it's their favorite song. <laughs> and then he will follow it up with something along the, along the lines of, like that Mexican guy on TV who smacked around the dead broad, who was always crying. I don't even know her name, folks. All the time crying. Extremely unattractive woman. I refuse to say that, though, because you know me, folks. I always insist on being highly politically correct. And then he'll make some gifable facial expression and just move on. The next day, Fox News will spend hours talking about this one comment. Fox and Friends will report as if it were real journalism that her name is Lucy. And Sean Hannity will go on his show and say, Lucy, I'm home, and laugh like he isn't himself a reanimated corpse. <laughs> Trump will Google or get someone to Google or just shout into the void the words Lucy dead, and the first result will be the skeleton of the first discovered Australopithecus Lucy. He will then tweet in that beautiful beat poetry style of his... So it was indeed, open parentheses, just proven in book, close parentheses. Scare quotes, damaged goods, open parentheses, shithole Ethiopia, close parentheses. Lucy, that sent the fake fossils to the museum and the media, hoping to have the exhibition open before the election. She and the Dems working together failed, open parentheses, as usual, close parentheses. Even the fake news refused this garbage because he never understands anything he's ever saying, why should this be any different? Now, for why Trump should pick a fight 
with the skeleton of the first discovered Australopithecus lucy. Because if his fight with the skeleton of the first discovered Australopithecus lucy distracts Trump, he won't notice Homo sapiens, that's us, <laughs> evolving and adapting to climate change. Which Australopithecus do you think were more likely to survive? The ones who were picking fights with their ancestors, the Artipithecus? Or the ones who were smashing stones together and trying to make shit happen? I'm talking human beings born with mutations like gills. <laughs> Lungs that can inhale carbon dioxide and exhale oxygen. The ability to photo-fucking synthesize. The only ways we, or rather the future we, sorry guys, are ever <laughs> going to survive on this planet. If Trump's fight with the skeleton of the first discovered Australopithecus lucy gets bad enough, Mike Pence will get distracted too. So he can't introduce legislation to outlaw the X-Men like you know he would. If Trump picks a fight with the skeleton of the first discovered Australopithecus lucy, that is the hill he is going to die on. Leaving the rest of us free to evolve and adapt to climate change and live in our new underwater world. A Trump-free paradise for many years to come. That is why Trump should and shall pick a fight with the skeleton of the first discovered Australopithecus lucy. Good people of the skewer, I thank you for your time. <laughs> Thank you, Kelsey. And now arguing that Trump should fight with the head, frozen head, allegedly, of Walt Disney, Tom Harrison. Well, if you're gonna, do it right. I want to make it clear right out of the gate that Walt Disney was 100% cremated. <laughs> As... as he often remarked in life was his wish, and which tracks with the cremation fee that his estate paid to the mortuary. The mortuary where he is buried, notably buried, not frozen. It also bears noting that the idea of cryogenic freezing as a path to immortality was popularized almost entirely by a book by a dude named Robert Ettinger. Please note that I said dude and not scientist. <laughs> Ettinger saw a... Come on. Ettinger saw a rad story in Amazing Stories magazine, a famous sci-fi anthology about aliens who put a frozen dead dude's brain in a robo-body and it came back to life. And he was like, Gah! And he wrote a big book about it. <laughs> All about how cryogenic freezing will definitely work. Because, because science will probably find out how to solve all the diseases eventually. Which if you look at society, fucking no. <laughs> Human ingenuity does not just passively make things better. <laughs> we... We cooked the earth into a shitty oven world where the only viable career path that still exists is to yell the N-word while playing Fortnite. <laughs> Pause for laughs. And all the scientific progress that Ettinger thought would have gone into curing cancer instead went into making a big algorithm that thinks I want to see tweets from banks. 
all of this is to say uh, that my topic is a stupid and easily disproven conspiracy theory <laughs> that only a dipshit would believe. And at risk of sounding like some sort of daily show ass, hashtag resistance lib, sounds like freaking comrade drumpf to me. That's the motherfucking tea. I'm sorry I, ha I had to do Listen, it happened. I can't undo it. <laughs> the fact remains, we need to keep Trump distracted as often as possible. The witch hunt thing was fun, but it's spent now. With Robert Mueller finally revealing himself to be the kind of guy who gets a seven-figure VP job and asks in a sonorous basso during an all-hands meeting, what is email? <laughs> We now, more than ever, need to keep Trump occupied with extremely stupid traps. <laughs> and as his recent feud with noted corpse John McCain has proved, there is no surer mind trap for our God King than bellowing at the grave. <laughs> Feuding with a dead person rules, because by definition, you can't win any more than you already have. <laughs> Meaning it can't ever end. And that is helped by the fact that attacking a dead guy will reflexively make all the big, important, serious news personalities get extremely offended and, and be like, oh, your lack of decorum. How dare you, sir? How dare you? You, you must cease this boorishness, sir. <laughs> Which is like the equivalent of a kid walking up to his bully and going like, you'll think twice about bullying me. <laughs> When you hear that my mom said that my ballet is merry and gay. <laughs> it is a perpetual motion machine where Donald will call Anderson Cooper, or Donald will make Anderson Cooper go like, my word, sir. And then Donald will call Anderson Cooper a cuck bitch. And on and on, it will just loop. And yes, it will turn our brains into boiling bog ooze. But that would have happened anyway. <laughs> Maybe if Trump's doing this, he won't have time to make it illegal to be trans or something. And who better? I'm preparing for the page turn. Who better to get Trump in a feud than Disney's icy head? As mentioned, the fact that the core concept is extremely not true <laughs> will play very well with the QAnon crowd and provide months... Months of free content for the right-wing media industry that exists to pump howling propaganda into every cop's brain for 24 hours a day. The feedback loop is strong, folks. And Disney is, all, is also now apparently the SJW company that made Star Wars for girls and is making the superheroes woke. They hate it, is the thing. Donald Trump will spend weeks at his rallies demanding that Walt Disney's frozen head is trampling free speech unless he makes Captain America say the N-word. 
This is a glue trap that will only entangle the right more the harder they flail. They want nothing more than representation in cool, exciting, hip media. And they assume the reason they don't get it is because crafty Hollywood Jews are excluding them out of spite. (laughs) Instead of realizing the truth, uh, which is that right-wingers are repellent ghouls and no one wants to see them. (laughs) Like... Donald Trump will definitely call Walt Disney's head an anti-Semitic slur. Walt Disney was not Jewish. But what is and isn't true has never stopped him before. I realize that as I'm up here debating, the picture I'm painting does not sound pleasant. Like, it it fucking sucks ass, dude. (laughs) But, like, look at the next six years and try to imagine a scenario that's pleasant. Like, there isn't one. All we can hope for is to try to yank Donald's evil off track into, a, into like, a little dead-end ditch for a couple of weeks at a time. And this particular trap, I think, has a lot of gas in the tank. Thank you. All right, friends, we've heard the opening statements, and now it's time for the question and answer debate period. Um, so I will maybe bring this guy over here. So, because some of these questions are for individual debaters, and some of them are for both of them. Um, so you can, so when it's, when it's a question to both of you, step up as the spirit moves you. Okay. And my first question is one of those uh, examples. Uh, it, it's for both of you. Uh, given Trump's style of event planning, cheeseburgers for award-winning athletes, gold diarrhea sprayed over every possible sconce and the like, what would Trump's funeral for your dead person look like? Yo, not his funeral. He would throw a funeral. Okay. For your person, person. yeah. Uh, Yo, for sure, he would want to put the head in the middle of a big walk-in freezer with dollar store ice cream sandwiches in there. And he'd be like, people are talking more and more about these ice cream sandwiches. We've been looking very hard at getting a strawberry flavor, uh, but then he wouldn't do it. I think that he would go to Nigeria, which is where uh, the first discovered Australopithecus Lucy was discovered. Um, And I think that he would point and be like, where is she, folks? I can't find her. I don't think she exists. Everyone's talking about it. Uh, So I think it would be an anti-funeral. Okay, so my next uh, question is for you, Kelsey. Um, So the Australopithecus species reigned on Earth from 4.4 to 1.4 million years ago, had very high IQs and used tools. Um, And of course, as we know, the presidency does involve doing a lot of kind of symbolic actions, right? Like funerals for dignitaries, the turkey pardoning, etc. Given these, these factors, which kind of symbolic presidential tasks would Lucy just, like, whip the shit out of Donald Trump on? And I know you want to say all of them, but just... You know. I'm trying to think if there's any presidential task that involves smashing. Um, well, so, okay, it, it wasn't a presidential task until we got our um, rich king... Uh, but, like, uh, you know he's, like, christened a yacht or some shit, right? (laughs) So, Lucy would be dope at christening a yacht, I think. She would be like, what is this? But, like, once she got over that, 
I think she would be really good at christening a yacht. Okay, my next question is for Tom. Uh, Walt Disney was a media magnate, multimillionaire, a man with a TV show, and a racist. <laughs> Trump would have so many reasons to get along with him. So my question is, how did their feud begin? Well, I think it's a basic fact of psychology that we hate the people most like us. Like, any time I see a calm, beautiful genius... <laughs> who's just going along the street, and he just like just looks up and says, like, all of my opinions are right. And I'm like, fuck. Oh, I hate them. <laughs> so just from that standpoint, he's going to be mad. And also, uh, as I said, he doesn't actually have a frozen head, so all this is fake. So in his dumb brain, he's going to see all the movies that have the Disney on him, and he thinks, like, oh, he definitely has, a, he has like a mob in with all these movies, because movies is where you launder your money. So he's like, well, each of these movies is definitely a free billion dollars for Walt Disney's head. And because he will, as I will say, he doesn't understand what death is. So he's going to think that the head is still getting paid. <laughs> so part of that is going to be uh, envy over his greater wealth. Also, if my improv answers aren't as good, it's because I'm not an improviser, which is a point in my favor. That did remind me of an atmosphere lyric because. <laughs> I'm sorry, because uh, I'm I'm white and I'm bad. Um, <laughs> you remind me of me. That's not a compliment. Ooh, edgy. Yeah. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, my next question is for both competitors, uh, and it's simple: Is there a hell? And when, <laughs> and when Donald Trump goes to it, will he meet your historical figure there? living in it guys but like um no uh i i do not think there is a hell but i think there's a bad place and i think everyone's there so yeah they'll meet they'll hang um she she won't talk to him she probably has a, a different way of communicating um than uh verbal language <laughs> I do not think that Donald Trump and Disney will meet in hell for two reasons. One, uh, if you freeze yourself, you're attempting to beat God, which you immediately forfeit your soul. So you don't even get to go to hell. That's just facts. It's in the Bible. Uh, and second, as I will expand on in my closing statement, I believe that you're making a sort of assumption, a dangerous assumption, to presume that Donald Trump will ever die. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I'm sad now, so we're going to end this. Um, my, my last question is kind of an inversion of my first question, which is if your historical figure was to plan Donald Trump's funeral, if, he, if God is merciful and death exists for him, um, what would that funeral look like? Lucy would be real sweet because I think that there was probably like because uh, our Australopithecus uh, had to be like uh, like a pack culture and like communities. I think they probably had a beautiful death ceremony of making sure that like you know they didn't bury their dead, but like they were like covered sweetly. And so I think she would extend that same favor to him because she probably wasn't evil like he is. <laughs> Maybe she was. I didn't know her. <laughs> 
As a fellow extremely rich white businessman who did everything in his life for the purpose of extracting the maximum amount of value from the world around him, I think it's ridiculous to think that Walt Disney would not be a MAGA guy. And if, <laughs> if you are like, but no, no, he made those wholesome movies with those universal values. It's like, well, have, have you not seen conservatism before? They can have opposing views. Dissonance is built in. It's part of the thing. <laughs> Uh, so I think it would be a very respectful funeral for a friend. All right. All right. This concludes our question and answer portion. <laughs> Donald Trump's never going to die. We don't know about hell. Okay. Um, so now we are going to have our closing statements. They're a hot, tight, you know, one, two minutes, whatever. Um, do we usually end in the same order or if we switch? So you will be giving us our first closing statement. Thank you. Correcto. One thing I want to make clear will not happen if Donald Trump feuds with Disney's cryogenically frozen head. Is he will not have any kind of revelation about mortality or his <laughs> impending death. Uh, and like, I get why you think he would. Like, the reason the frozen Disney myth was so irresistible and caught on the way it did is that the only obstacle for rich people really is that they're going to die. And so it's funny to us to see someone who we know has so few problems flail so foolishly about the one they still have. Oh, no. They say, I'm going to die. What am I going to do? Where am I going to put my money? I better freeze my special brain. <laughs> and we laugh. The monsters who crush us under their all-powerful boots suddenly blubbering in fear at the one thing they should have known was going to happen. You may be hoping that Trump, too, in this morbid feud, will catch a glimpse of the grave and for a moment suffer as we do, as pitiful ants in an uncaring void. This won't ever fucking happen. <laughs> because as I've said on this show before, both today and in previous shows, I truly do not believe that Donald Trump will ever die. <laughs> Like when his time comes and the Grim Reaper shows up at his bed, he just won't know what he's supposed to do. He has never conceived of a reality where he can die, so he won't. He'll just believe it so hard it becomes true. Like, remember that clearly fake medical report that Trump, that, that said that Trump was the healthiest person that the doctor had ever seen? Like, it's clearly a lie, but, like, I think it's also true. <laughs> he believes it so hard that it's real now. Yes, I am saying that he can psychically influence reality to fit his beliefs. How else do you think he got elected? Donald Trump has powers. <laughs> and honestly, maybe we need this feud. Like, part of what made the John McCain feud so compelling is that Trump in his own extremely wrong way, was right. Like, John McCain does actually suck ass, and that fact needs to be mainstreamed. Disney just acquired 20th Century Fox and is a media monolith wielding power unheard of in human history, and the fact that their movies are even as vaguely progressive as they are is a fucking miracle. The nanosecond that they believe there's more money to be made... Whoa! The nanosecond that they believe that there's more money to be made in going full fash, they will do it. And it will convince people. 
Iron Man will turn directly to the camera and talk about how it's good when the police use lethal force. <laughs> because they put their lives on the line just like me. The people in your office will watch it and think it's true. <laughs> Disney will do this. The second it is economically viable, they will not hesitate. I'm not saying that Trump should be the one to sound the alarm about Disney being way too powerful. Like He's going to do a terrible job of it if he do it. But it's better to have it out in our national conversation than not. And like, imagine Trump at a rally imitating a frozen Disney head. He'd be like, uh, I made the Aristocats. I'm cold. Fucking hilarious. Thank you. people of the skewer. <laughs> My opponent would like you to believe that Trump should pick a fight with the dead media magnate Walt Disney's allegedly cryo-frozen head. <laughs> but I think he shan't. <laughs> because as discussed, why would he ever do that when they're basically the same person? rich, old, racist men who love calling themselves entrepreneurs for making money off of other people's work. And if Trump were to pick a fight with the dead media magnate Walt Disney's allegedly cryo-frozen head, he would buy every media conglomerate not owned by Disney, resulting in an entertainment duopoly dystopia. Additionally, if Trump were to pick a fight with the dead media magnate Walt Disney's allegedly cryo-frozen head, he would also insist on being cryo-frozen. And to one-up him, he would cryo-freeze his dumb dick. <laughs> Do you know how much energy that would waste while we all fight for resources in a world ravaged by climate change? Is this the world you want to live in while we all inevitably die? Sorry, guys. <laughs> a world where there is an amusement park called Trump World at Mar-a-Lago and Mike Pence is forced to wear a bootleg Mickey Mouse costume. A world where Trump's dumb dick never dies while we all struggle to survive. Or would you rather a future where Trump and his administration become extinct while we evolve and adapt and thrive in a brave new world? Good people of the skewer, I thank you for your time. All right, and now it is time to vote for who has won. And of course, the winner takes home this beautiful, it's a skewer. It's got like... <laughs> <laughs> it's got like some orange beads on it, so you know it's no, you know it's some real shit. Um, the last time I won one, I fed it to my chinchilla dump truck. Um, that's his name. Okay. Anyway, um, so basically, what you're gonna do is you're gonna clap for each of the people in an amount commensurate to how much you think that you want them to win. But you will clap for both people because we are polite and we respect that people put a lot of work into this. Okay. Um, so I am going to need someone to judge the clapping level. Rick, I think, are you, <laughs> can you do it? Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, so he's no longer, he don't, no longer has an opinion. Just kind of stand over here, yeah. <laughs> no opinions. That's right, that's right. I'm just an ear right now. That's right, yeah. Okay, so if you believe the winner of this debate should be Kelsey, Please make some noise. 
we're done. Beautiful. Okay. If you think the winner should be Tom, make some noise. Richard. so much everyone for coming thank you to cafe mustache thank you to all of our writers next when's our next i'm looking i'm opening the calendar as we speak one of these days i'll do it before i meant to do it it ain't now we're gonna be back the first wednesday of next month which will be may 1st which will see the triumphant return of recent baby haver and excellent co-producer of the skewer erica trisbach Uh, yeah, that's been The Skewer. We're also a podcast. I am proud to continue my streak of the most losses of any debate participant. Thank you all for coming. See you later. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Skewer Podcast. If you like what you heard, you can come to a live show the first Wednesday of every month at Cafe Mustache in Chicago. Or you can subscribe to this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts from. Or give us a rating and review or something. We like those. If you'd like to be on the show, you can email us at skewerchicago at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next month.